Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Dear God, pray that you would hold my words, that you would take their inadequacies and interpret them through the Spirit to mean something good and true and beautiful. Pray that in spite of my flaws and failings, what you need us to hear will be heard today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We can put the first slide up, if we, if we have that. Or is that me? Do I do that? Oh, sweet. So that's Genesis 1 and 2 in Hebrew. And it sounds like this. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim ve'et ha'aretz ve'ha'aretz ha'ita tohu va'vohu. Vehoshek alpene tehom, Veruach Elohim, Merachefe alpene hamayim. I think there's something powerful about hearing these texts in their original languages. Something that grounds us in their materiality and, and opens us up to a newness when we've become numb to them after hearing them so many times over the years. We need to break them open again, let them breathe, even bleed. And also because I want to begin with a linguistic insight. Can we put it back up again real quick? So we've always heard, in the beginning, God created. Right? And most folks who, who don't read Hebrew just take that translation for granted. And actually, the Western theological tradition, in a lot of ways, is built upon this translation. Creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, is the core of our cosmology Right? There was nothing God created, and then there was something. But, somewhat embarrassingly, that's not what the text says in Hebrew. So, I'm so sorry. <laughs> One more time. So, it, so, Hebrew goes from right to left. And the first letter you see up there is an Aleph. That's just the first letter of the alphabet, saying that that's the first verse. But the first word you see, Bereshit, it begins with a bet which is a preposition, which has a range of meanings, in, when, as, etc. But the word that it's attached to, that it modifies, reshit, isn't a noun, right? It's not the beginning. There would be a definite article there. The construct would look completely different. It's not in the beginning. That word is a verb. In particular, it's a participle. So it's beginning, but beginning not as a noun, as a verb, right? So you can say the beginning of a movie, you know? But also, so-and-so is beginning to do something else. That's an action word. So that's the word that we have. So the preposition, beginning, bara is to create, and Elohim is God. So to, to reduce a bunch of annoying linguistic details, the most accurate translation would be, when God began to create. 
Do you see the difference? In the first reading, there's nothing. God creates, and then there's something. There's an unformed earth that he then builds into something good. But in the second reading, the earth is already existing. When God began to create, the earth was without form and void. It was already there. On the second reading, God creates out of the raw materials of an empty, dead, broken world. Can you imagine a more perfect beginning to the story of Scripture or of the world? The first thing God does is make resurrection. The very first story we tell about God is the poetry of life pouring into empty bodies. The first principle of God's creative care for us is that there is always a way to start over, to begin again, even when the world has ended. I attended my grandmother's memorial earlier this year. We had a a lovely gathering where we remembered her through food and music and storytelling. And we went to a beach near there. It's up in Massachusetts, Crane Beach, which is fairly isolated. And and she would go there in her more mobile days for some quiet and contemplation, alone time. We Foley's are all very similar. Her children, her grandchildren, great-grandchildren, even scattered her ashes into the sea along with her husband's. They intermingled in the water and dissipated into the current. Flowers accompanied them as they journeyed away. And it was beautiful. And it really struck me in a new way as we were sitting there. I mean, it was probably like 30 minutes of just like watching, you know, the ashes be pulled out into the ocean. And it struck me that there are no real endings. Not really. As my loved ones changed form, they didn't end. They transformed. They were with Christ, just as before, just in a new way. Their bodies were not even destroyed, just transmuted, gathering with the sands of the ocean. So maybe certain modes of being come to an end, but there are no final endings. We simply shift and change and move through the world differently than before. And like in the story of creation, God is always at work to make new ways for life in the face of death, transforming the raw materials of our lives into something good, something that transcends death and the grave. I was thinking about this alongside one of our texts for today. The story in the Gospel of John where the disciples see the risen Lord, their friend, the Christ. And what's interesting to me about it are the changes between the characters, their transformations. Jesus is, of course, risen now. He's the resurrected Lord. That's a significant change. His body is a resurrected body. But the disciples have also changed. But they've reverted back to their old life. They're out on the water again, like they always had been before this unbelievable journey and adventure that was their time with Jesus, but it was over now. He had died. In their minds, he had failed. Their hopes were crushed, 
And they returned to a sad, listless, repetitive life of mere sustenance and labor. There's an interplay between the change that carries some of the characters forward and some backwards. Jesus had progressed into resurrection life, but the disciples had regressed into their old ways. Peter had denied Jesus. The disciples had lost hope and abandoned him. All the work that Jesus had done to build them into the people of a new world through years of change-making was seemingly undone in a matter of days. But Jesus starts again. I shared an image in the newsletter with writing in Arabic this week, and it's the, it's the wallpaper on my phone. I look at it every day, and the writing means we can always begin again. That is a reality core not just to our theology, but to our very being. No matter what has taken place, the kinds of loss, death, or brokenness that we endure, we can always begin again. Jesus begins again here, speaking to these lost fishermen like he did before they knew one another, like they had come to know one another. He asks them if they caught any fish, right, like he did before. He tells them to cast their nets on the other side, like he did before. He replays those first moments for them. Kind of dramatic, theatrical forgiveness, a renewal. He's opening up a rift in time, allowing them to choose him again, full of purity and naivete, without the baggage of their disappointments and betrayals. He's creating a new moment. Peter racked with guilt, overcome with pain and heartbreak at his sin, at his loss of his friend and Messiah, he sees Jesus again. His heart leaps, and he leaps out of the boat. And on this reading, I noticed something I'd never noticed before. I noticed that he doesn't walk on water. Last time Peter had jumped out of the boat to get to Jesus, he walked on water, right? A miraculous sign of Jesus' power and the advent of the kingdom in Peter's own progression toward realizing the gospel in his own heart. But not this time. Things have changed. One might think that this moment would be more miraculous. That the appearance of the risen Christ would initiate an even more spectacular miracle. Instead of walking on water, Peter would fly to him, right? Something like that. But there's no miracle at all this time. He gets into the water like anyone would and swims to shore. His relationship with Jesus has changed. His experience of the world has changed. But what is the significance or value of this change? Do we say that that he's fallen below his former status, that, that he's regressed, or that he's resigned to a life now absent of the miraculous? I don't know. But I don't think that we can value this change. It's simply a change. It's simply different. He is now in relationship with the risen Lord. Why does it matter if he has the same relationship to the water? 
The point I'm trying to get at is that our relationships with God and with others change. Our jobs change. Our homes change. Our culture changes. Our church changes. We sometimes can assign such particular value to certain eras, life arrangements, and we grieve at their passing. We worry at the coming situation, and that's okay. That's our instinct to fear change, to hold on to the present or past glory days. But friends, what I want you to know today is that the changes that God leads us through are not to be feared, but to be appreciated for the lessons they teach us and the way they shape us into people who might more fully live into the gospel promise. Think of Peter walking and talking with the Messiah himself for three precious, beautiful, exciting years. One would think that that's the ceiling. That that's where God would want Peter to be always. But things will change. And that change will be devastating. Peter will lose his friend, his leader, his hope, his pride. Peter will lose his newfound self. He will despair, and his heart will break. But that is only the way to life with the resurrected Lord. We have to endure the crucifixion of the present in order to get to a resurrected future. We have to endure the crucifixion of the present in order to get to a resurrected future. And this is painful. Change can be so disorienting and so painful. But of course, it didn't have to be so. Jesus had promised him that everything would be okay. He told him that he would be raised, but Peter lost faith. And so endured the very darkest night of the soul. This is is understandable, even if avoidable. And so for us too, if you can practice the faith that will see you through the dark nights... You will come into the light unscathed. But if that faith is hard to have, if you feel weak, if the changes are so fearsome and terrifying that you lose your grip and deny your faith, there is still a future for you. Jesus welcomes Peter back. Jesus asks him three times, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, yes, yes. Jesus is grounding him in reality. Things have tossed him about and he's lost his bearings, but Jesus recenters him. Do you love me? Nothing else matters. Your past, your present fear, your unknown future doesn't matter. Only your love of Christ. And of course, the means by which we love Christ, which is the feeding of his sheep, Tending to the hungry, the lost, the confused, the broken, the vulnerable. We are not asked to predict the future, to secure it, to navigate it perfectly, only to love Christ by feeding his sheep. Again, this is both change and sameness. It's the call to cast the nets out again and be fishers of people. It is a renewed call. The conditions are different But the call is the same. 
What that work looks like is different, but the motivating force is the same. Things have died. Jesus has died. Peter has died. The world has ended. And every ending is a new beginning. The writer Clive Barker said, quote, We each die countless little deaths on our way to the last. We die out of shame as humiliation. We perish from despair. And of course, we die for love. End quote. Death happens over and over again. Not as real and final endings, but as something disorienting pushes us into a new and uncertain future. Will we be bodies moving about our world, or will we be souls floating through the ether? Or will we be dust settling into the belly of the ocean? We may not know, but we do know that God is carrying us. That even in the moments that feel like totalizing and excruciating death, God will somehow make resurrection happen. Even as change feels like regression to the lifeless boats of old, God will call us to come out onto the water again. And we may not walk on it like before, but that is not a loss. That's only a difference. Perhaps this time we swim, but we come to the risen Lord. So what I'm trying to say is, embrace the changes of your life. Glory in the way these changes offer you new modes of being, new experiences, new angles on the world, and fresh understanding of God's grace and glory. Don't despair even when it appears that you've died, or that your loved ones or your dreams have died. They may be on the shore just up ahead, You may recognize them again in the next instant. And you may not walk on water to them like before. But your new way will be beautiful, whatever it is. As we die over and over again in our romantic relationships, which live and die and change every day, or in our life as the church, which lives and dies and changes every day, on our own selves, which live and die and change every day. In all this, we are not dying in some final way, but becoming. Going deeper into the mystery of life and all its tangle of pain and joy and confusion and clarity. What we believe as Christians is that there is no final death for us. Every little death is only a change that need not be feared precisely because it cannot mean death. Christ conquered death. And so our end, our real, final, absolute end, is not in death. It's in Christ. That's our resting place, here and now and forever and ever. So whatever comes, don't fear. Knowing that what comes is only what has already been conquered. That what comes cannot overpower the love that God has for you. Your end is your present. And your end is Christ. So rest in peace now. Rest in peace forever. You are already dead. And you will never die. And the love of God will animate your life through every change. So there's nothing to fear. Whether walking on water or swimming to shore. No matter how we've changed. 
we end up with the risen Christ. Lay a hold of that reality and live not in fear of change, in fear of death, but in the unconquerable joy of resurrection life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.